Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves by studying His Word in order to lead us to a personal transformational relationship with God. This podcast series called Philippians, How to Have Joy, was recorded from September to October of 2021, a sermon series by Preset Ministries National Director Mark Sheldrake to a local Ontario church. Now let us listen to Mark's message as he takes us into the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians where through scripture we can discover how to have joy. Father, we do thank you for the time that we have to come before you now in singing praise and reading your word and being challenged by your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that as we again look to uh, how we can have joy, that you would Uh, speak to our hearts, that you would challenge us uh, in the word that you have for us, and that your spirit would be working uh, in and through each and every one of us as we unwrap the the words and the pages of your book. Uh, So we give you this time now, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, to uh, start uh, this morning... Uh, I want to take you backwards, if that's okay. Uh, I want to review with you uh, on the, uh, where we've been in Philippians so far. All right, so um, have your Bibles out if you are a note taker. Have your pens at the ready. And uh, then we'll draw into where we're headed today. So uh, first and foremost, we're looking at how to have joy in all circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So even in the most difficult of situations, we are to have joy. And so uh, first, we looked at this joy that we have is a positional joy that can only be found in Jesus Christ, all right? So at the foundation of this joy is our relationship with Jesus. Uh, The second was that we find joy in our partnership of the gospel, all right? So when we partner together and we do the work of the Lord, there is great joy in that. We also will find joy when we look backwards on all that God has done in our lives, all right? So we saw that with Paul and the book of Acts. Uh, Then, uh, last week, we saw joy when we put Christ first. We also found that we saw joy, or we can have joy, when we put others second. And then we have joy when we put ourselves last. All right, so... Now, this is a moment of confession for me, all right? So apparently, I am the worst Sunday school kid uh, around, okay? So I know the, I've got the joy, joy down in my heart. Do you know that? Why didn't you say where? (laughs) I got the joy in my heart. You know that song? Anyway, so I was... Sitting this week, I told you about the friend I was going to visit last week. I was sitting with her on Monday, and uh, we were chatting, and 
believe it or not, we were chatting Philippians, yes, how to have joy in all circumstances. And I was talking about what I was sharing with you folks the day before. And uh, I was like, we have to put Jesus first. We have to put others seconds. We have to put ourselves last. She goes, don't you know the children's song, Jesus, others, you, that's joy? Has anybody heard that? Where were you last week? No. (laughs) Yeah, I had never heard there was an acronym, Jesus, others, you. Anyway, so there you go, Jesus, others, you. There's a Sunday school song. And uh, I need to pay way more attention uh, in Sunday school. All right, so here's where we're headed today, though. Uh, This, what we looked at last week, Jesus, others, you, draws us right into where we're headed this week. Last week, I challenged you at the end of the service to, to seek out and ask God how you're doing in putting Jesus first, putting others second, and putting yourself last. So Lord willing, if you took on that exercise, you, you, you may have learned some things about you. But now, Paul is going to pick up in this letter on the focus of unity. And he's going to do that in starting in verse 27. All right, so in verse 27 of chapter one is where we're gonna start. This is the verse that I began to introduce to you last week, uh, but now we're gonna look a little bit closer and we're gonna make our way all the way to uh, chapter two, verse 11, okay? So the first uh, verse we wanna look at, verse 27, listen to what Paul says. Uh, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So Paul has just come out of this amazing example of his own life. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But my desire is to stay with you and to see you grow in Christ. And then he says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. So what we're going to set out first is what does it mean to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel? All right, so the first cross-reference we're going to look at is in Philippians. And this sets the stage for what it means to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Flip over to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. So in Philippians 3, verse 20, Paul says regarding all believers, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to come back to this passage when we get to chapter 3. But what Paul is saying, and and we talked about this when we walked through Daniel, is that this is not your home. And therefore, when you live your life, you should not live your life like this is your home. You should conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel as in that you are a citizen of heaven, that you are one that lives in this world but not 
of this world, and that means that you should be a person who lives with integrity, who lives in honesty, who lives a life that is pursuing the gospel first and not the things of the world. This is what it means to conduct yourself in a manner worthy. All right, look over with me to Colossians uh, chapter 1. Okay, so another uh, passage where Paul talks about uh, conduct and living a life worthy of the gospel. So he says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. So Colossians 1, 9 and 10 says, For this reason also, since the days we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you that you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul's prayer here is that they'd be filled with knowledge and spiritual wisdom and understanding of that knowledge. So what? That they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing good fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Why? So you can attain all steadfastness, patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. All right, so what Paul's telling us is that we need to walk in a manner worthy, produce fruit for the kingdom, and in all of that, we'll have joy. All right? So back to Philippians, conduct yourself worthy of the manner of the gospel. Uh, we need to live in the fact that our identity is in Christ. Now, look what he tells us as a part of this conduct that we are to do. All right, so he wants this church to do this, whether he's with them or whether he is not with them. And then he says that he will get a report that says that you are standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So starting at verse 27 all the way through to chapter 2, verse 11, Paul is going to continue to draw down the importance of unity, all right? So I put at the top of my notes, it's so important to have unity in the community, all right? So unity in the community, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be unified, uh, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Look at verse 28. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, uh, that too comes from God. All right, so first and foremost, there's some scholars who believe that there may have been some division happening within the church. That as the circumstances and suffering for the gospel increased, that there was some people that were starting to uh, break apart. All right, so just think about that. Um, the, the idea of the word tribulation is a, is a pressing together, all right? So as the, the walls came closing in on each other, that sometimes that was causing a little bit uh, of division in how things would be handled, all right? So think about that. You, here we are in a church. How many people are in this church? We probably all don't agree all the time on how situations should be handled, 
right? I, I think about uh, the scene from Star Wars. I think it's first one. All right, so uh, Luke and um, Han Solo and Princess Leia, they're all in this big garbage tank, and the walls are closing in on them, and they're trying to find, they're trying to find this bar that's going to stop, stop it from closing. But what happens? They start, to, they start to argue a little bit about how they're going to handle that situation, and the pressure comes and the pressure mounts on them, and then they wait for R2-D2 to save the day. Right? So as the pressure comes in, there starts to be some quarreling and some rubbing the wrong way in how we should handle the situations. So what he's saying here is that what's happening if there's suffering going on because of outside opponents, all right? So this is very important for us to look at, all right? So as we are looking at this, he's calling for unity, strive together, be of one spirit and one mind. The idea of striving together is to be toiling or wrestling together for one purpose, and that is for the gospel. So what Paul is calling this church to do is to stand firm. That's the first thing, all right? So stand firm in the gospel, and when you stand firm, I can't help but think to when I was around 10 or 11 years old, and I lived on a court in uh, Cambridge, and uh, this court, they used to plow all the snow into the middle of the court in this big hill. And then we played King of the Hill. Anybody play King of the Hill before? You're up at the top of this hill and all your friends are trying to climb to that top of the hill. And their purpose is what? Push you off so they can become King of the Hill. And if you get to the top of the hill, what you do is you dig your feet in and you hold your shoulders like this. And every kid that comes there, you just plow them back down the hill. Why? Because I'm standing firm and I'm staying king of the hill. This is what Paul is calling this church to do. He's calling to firmly plant that no matter what, shoulder in, nothing is going to rock them together. But how do they do that? They can only do that when they're unified, all right? When, when you work together uh, in one spirit, standing firm in one spirit and with one mind, can you only remain king of the hill, all right? So, you know, back in the day, maybe, maybe, just maybe, you partnered with people on the king of the hill and made sure that you didn't get pushed off. All right, so first and foremost, you are to be of one spirit, one mind, striving or toiling or wrestling for the gospel. That no matter what comes against the gospel, you are going to dig firm and you are going to knock back so that you are together in it. And then verse 28, he says, don't be alarmed. That in no way are you alarmed by your opponents. Uh, working together, uh, standing together, being of one mind, you will begin to recognize those who are opponents of the gospel. All right, so now look what happens. Paul tells us regarding these opponents. All right, so he tells us that we are to be of one mind, strive together with one spirit for the gospel. Don't be alarmed by your opponents. 
uh, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too is from God. All right, so what's Paul telling us here? Okay, it's simply this, that we are going to face, as we are unified as one body, we are going to have people who come against us that are enemies of the gospel, that we need to stand firm together on the truths of God's word, that no matter what, God's word holds all authority and nothing is going to knock us down off of that hill. But secondly, he says that God has destruction reserved for anybody who opposes the gospel. All right? That's a principle that we know within Scripture, that any opponent of the gospel, those who come up against for the purpose of destruction of the gospel, they too will be destroyed. But if we stand firm as one spirit, one mind, striving for the gospel, salvation. Do you see it? So when we work together, when we pursue and we focus on that one mission, like Paul showed us in the very beginning last week when we saw that Paul's purpose and mission was the gospel of Jesus Christ, that when we strive together with that one purpose, at the end, even though we will have opponents, which we'll look at in a minute, that salvation comes for us. You see, now, verse 29 is the term of conclusion, so verse 29, the first term of conclusion, that what you will have opponents, they, they will be destroyed. You will be saved if you stand firm. But then look what he says. For to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for his sake. All right, so what Paul is telling us is that when we stand firm in the gospel with one spirit, with one mind, that we are mission-focused on furthering the gospel, that we are going to have opponents, that when we stand for truth, there will be opposition. Don't be alarmed by that opposition, but here's the most important thing. Because you are in Christ, you will suffer for the gospel. All right, so uh, sounds like the most amazing offer to be a part of, right? That we stand for the gospel and we suffer. Now, let's look at this idea of suffering for the gospel for a moment, and then we will come back to looking at the next part of that term of conclusion. All right, so John chapter 15. So John 15, let's look at verses 18 to 21, and we will see uh, that Christians, believe it or not, destined for suffering for the gospel. All right, so John chapter 15, starting at verse 18, and listen to what John writes. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Because, but because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, because of, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they had kept my word, they will keep yours also. 
But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. All right, so what is, what is Jesus telling you right here? All right, so what Paul is saying is he's saying, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. That means you are to live like you are a citizen of heaven. And when you live as a citizen of heaven, with your mission being focused on the gospel, you are going to face suffering. Why are you going to face suffering? Because your sole pursuit is Christ, and you're living for the name of Christ. Because Christ was persecuted, you're going to be persecuted. You will suffer for the gospel. It's not an option to suffer for the gospel. It will happen. There's no choice in that. When we live a life that brings glory and honor to God in all that we do and when we stand for truth, you will suffer. All right, so let's look at the next one, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. All right, so uh, Jesus standing on the hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee. He, he brings his, his sermon, uh, a sermon on the mount, and listen to what he says, starting in verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do, do, you, notice the word, do you notice the word that, that Jesus is saying in his sermon? that goes along with the whole theme of what we're looking at in the book of Philippians? Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who uh, insult you and persecute you because of Jesus' name. What are you to do? Rejoice. Rejoice and be glad that you are suffering for the gospel. Rejoice. All right, so uh, we are to, to rejoice in the fact that we are suffering. Now look at 1 Peter uh, and look at verses 6 to 9. So 1 Peter, uh, verses 6 to 9. And then we'll get back to Philippians. All right, here's what Peter has to say regarding suffering. Look what the church Uh, The message to the church is, in this, chapter 1, verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but you believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So what is Peter telling the church? He's telling them that, you know, 
you are rejoicing now because you are facing trials, that you are being persecuted for the gospel of Jesus Christ, but there will be a time that comes that you will be a rejoicing time, inexpressible, full of glory, because you've obtained your salvation at which is to come at the end. So go back to Philippians chapter one. And he says, for you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Jesus, but it is also uh, for you to suffer for his sake. So the first thing that we want to look at, we want to add to our list on joy, is that we should find joy in suffering for the gospel. All right, so we should find joy in suffering for the gospel because the outcome of that suffering is salvation. All right, so at whatever time that may be, when, the, when God calls us home, we will be saved. So now he tells us, uh, let's look at 29 and 30 again. It's been granted to you for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So remember, this is this church, okay? So when Paul first went to this church, don't you remember a few weeks ago that Paul was arrested and put into prison for the gospel? What did the church see? The church saw that Paul went to jail for the gospel. Well, where's Paul now? Paul again is in prison. Why? For the gospel. So he's, he's not on this beautiful island, you know, drinking out of coconuts. He is suffering for the gospel. He is being beaten for the gospel. He's showing the church that he is able to rejoice in his circumstances of suffering so that they so should suffer and find rejoicing in that as well. But at the end of all of this suffering for the gospel, they need to do it together. They need to be of one spirit and one mind pushing the gospel forward. And when you do that, opponents will come and they will cause you to suffer for what you believe. All right, now look at the the next part of this because it it brings us into chapter two, all right? And we're going to bring out four things that uh, are a call to unity, okay? So four things that will bring us into unity, All right, here we go. Therefore, this is another term conclusion. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Did you hear it? Did you hear the repeated word over and over? The word one? All right, it is mentioned multiple times. Let's let's draw them out. So if you were to take your Bible and you were to kind of circle them, verse 27 has one spirit, one mind. All right, then we also have in verse uh, two, being of the same mind, maintaining same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. This is all about unity, So as we walk through this now, we want to start with what will make Paul have joy, all right? Because we want to add that to our list of the thing that is going to bring Paul joy. Do you see it? 
What brings Paul joy? Unity. Knowing that whether he is with them or not, that he, his joy will be made complete when you, church, are of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit and intent with one purpose. Add to your list, there is joy in unity. All right, so great joy is found in unity. Now, go back to chapter 2, verse 1. So, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, and any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection, make my joy complete. All right, the word encouragement there. So, we'll look at this word encouragement for a minute. And the word encouragement is to come alongside. All right, it's to come alongside uh, in Christ. And so in encouragement, we know you, you come beside someone and you encourage them and you spur them on, keep going, good job, well done. And so what the next word I want to look at is this word that uh, really opens this up for us. It's the word consolation. Uh, the word consolation in the Greek is a, a persuasive address. All right, so it is to come alongside somebody, encouragement them, encourage them in a persuasive way to continue pressing on. But here's the thing. In this passage right here in verses 1 and 2, do you know where that's coming from? That's coming from Jesus. The idea here is that Jesus will come alongside of you as you strive for unity and he will like whisper in your ear, keep going, persevere, strive on, fulfill my purpose, preach the gospel, you're doing great, salvation is coming. Can you imagine as you you sit and you, you, you're striving together with one purpose and one mind. The encouragement that comes as Christ comes alongside through his word and he says, press on. Well done, good and faithful servant. You can do it. You don't have to, be, to, to break away. And so as he comes alongside and he, he encourages, look, look at what he says, if there's any fellowship, uh, koinonia, come together uh, in oneness this is, this is way more, way more than Timbits and coffee. This is a, a brotherhood that comes together. It's very interesting as I was sitting with this, this uh, uh, woman on Monday, and uh, we were talking about um, uh, her life and, and cancer and, and how to uh, deal with all the treatments that she was going through. And uh, I was getting up to leave. And uh, I prayed with her. And as I got up to leave, she, she made a comment to me. And I just really, really um, have been thinking about that comment all week. And she said, this, Mark, is true fellowship. And I said, what do you mean? Explain it to me. What, what do you mean is true fellowship? She said, do you know that for three hours, we taught each other from the word? We prayed for each other. We talked about uh, pushing the gospel forward in Canada, that that was the only answer 
for everything that we see in our country is the gospel of Jesus Christ? She said it's true fellowship when we can gather together and we can share the word with each other and we can teach each other from the word and we can pray for each other in our, in our pursuits, in our desires to fulfill the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is so much more than gathering together and talking about, say, say something like hockey. This fellowship is found in Christ. And, and I was so encouraged by that and just by what she was saying to me on Monday. And the, and the thing that blew me away about all of this is her sole desire, she, she'd been in bed for four weeks and not being able to get with people. And she said, you know what? The only thing that is upsetting me about this whole thing is I had, didn't get a chance to go out and witness for the last four weeks. I haven't had a chance to share the gospel. Do you, do you see the mission, the mission focus, one mind, one purpose? Fellowshiping together, having an affection and love and compassion for each other. This is a brotherly love, a, a, a sacrificial love that we are willing to do uh, things for each other. All right? So let me give you, uh, to this point, let me begin to give you some of the points of how we can be united. All right? Here's the first one. Uh, we need to be united in the spiritual battle that we face, all right? So uh, we will have opponents of the gospel, and we need to be realize that we are in war, all right? We, you and I, we are in a war. We are not here for the purpose of just to fulfill our time until we go be with the Lord, we are battling against Satan and his enemies. And if we're not united in that, opponents will uh, overtake us. All right, so we need to be battled. Uh, we need to be united in a spiritual battle. Here's the second one. Uh, we need to have a genuine love for one another in fellowship. So we have to have a genuine love for one another in fellowship. Uh, now he's going to um, tell us how to do that. We, we could pray right now, right? But verses three and on are really hard. They are verses that can bring great conviction upon us because the world that we live in now this is the focus, all right? It's the opposite of what Paul's telling us to do in Philippians. All right, here's, here's what it says, verse three. Uh, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Just, just let that sink in for a minute because uh, what we saw last week, right, in the Sunday school song that I didn't really know there was one for, the acronym, Joy, Jesus, Others, You. All right, so Jesus first, others second, you last, was the purpose of the message that we looked at last week. 
And then he calls us down and he says, you need to strive together as one spirit, one mind for the purpose of the gospel. Don't be alarmed by your opponents. If there's fellowship, if there's love, if there's consolation and encouragement, if you are in Christ, that you are united together with one purpose, your sole mission is the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you must do nothing out of selfish or empty conceit. Uh, this, this one hurts. This one, um, when we look at, uh, the idea that Paul is getting at is do nothing for the purpose of glorifying yourself. All right? So if we are in a purpose for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is to bring all glory to God. But if we live in a life of selfishness and conceit, and we don't regard others as more important than ourselves, and if we only look out for our own personal interests in life, we seek all the glory. And, and I could take you to multiple passages about stealing the glory from God, but the purpose here is that we must put ourselves last. All right, so here, here, here's the problem with this. Okay, let me just wrap this around to you and bring it to today. All right? Today, the world teaches you that you must pursue everything for your purposes. This is a me world. All right? We even come and we come into the church and we might say, I didn't get anything out of that sermon today. It was not speaking to me. Uh, there's a great video uh, on YouTube. You could Google if you want this week. It's called the Me Church. <laughs> the, where they come in and they, the couple's all about what can I get from the church? You, you see, the whole world is solely focused on building yourself up. Uh, if any of you spend any time on social media, you will see that everything is about me. And you see, what Paul is calling us to is the exact opposite of what the world has for us. But you and I as believers, we get caught. We get sucked into that me, me, me attitude. And sometimes it is really hard to get out of that position. I even think about what we're going through in the world today. Uh, it's so polarizing. Look at the division that's happening within our own country. We have uh, a country that just went to the ballots and came out no different than we did before as a divided nation over who should be in charge. Uh, this, this whole idea here of what Paul is saying is that there can be no me when you are striving together in unity. You have to get rid of all of that. That the sole purpose is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 
we must pay close attention to the personal interests of others. Now, uh, where we're headed in this last bit of the section of the passage. All right, so here, here's the most amazing thing of what Paul does, okay? So he's, he's got a little bit of a sandwich here, all right? So he starts with Paul. Here's my example. This is what I've done for the gospel. Uh, my desire is to um, go to be with Christ, but I am coming to stay with you and because I want to see you grow. Now, you should live in unity with pursuing the gospel, that you should do nothing out of selfish conceit. So he gives his example. This is Paul's life and his example up to verse 27, and he shows you how he is living out and he is imitating Christ, that he has put the gospel first, that he has put others second, and he has put himself last. Then he calls the church to do the very same thing. And then he says, let me just raise the bar way above me, way above me. And he says, you need to do just as Jesus did. So he doesn't stop the bar at imitate me. He now gives us Jesus. All right, so let's walk through the final verses of this and how we to, to uh, have joy and unity, okay? So uh, we must, here's the third point, we must have, uh, to have unity, we must have genuine humility and self-sacrifice. Uh, we need to truly be humble and willing to sacrifice our desires, our hopes, our wants for others, The final one is we need to follow Christ and his example. All right, so let's look at uh, this. This could be a message in of itself, uh, looking at Jesus. He says, verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard, regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He emptied himself, uh, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, so first of all, he says, here's the attitude that you should have. You should be like Jesus. All right, so why should he be like Jesus? Look what it says. He says that Jesus existed in the form of God, but but did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So the first point here that we need to understand, okay, so Jesus was God. And he was equal with him because he is him in heaven. So if we go back, let's look, Genesis chapter 1, and let's look at uh, Genesis 1, Verse 1. 
We'll start at Genesis 1, verse 1, and then we'll pass over into um, Genesis 2 for a minute, okay? So Genesis chapter 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, look at verse 3, okay? So verse 2, the earth was formless and void and darkness Uh, was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And verse three, then God said. God, God spoke creation into existence. And so when we see that God spoke creation into existence, everything came into being. And now look at Genesis chapter uh, one, or Genesis chapter two. Yeah, Genesis chapter one. And he will tell us that as he's creating uh, man, verse 26, all right? So verse 26, he says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. Who's the us? Right? So if, if God was all by himself in the beginning, uh, who's the us? Well, let's look at John chapter 1. Uh, in John chapter 1, understanding the equality of Jesus, that this is a, this is a big thing that Jesus was doing according to Philippians chapter two. In John chapter one, John opens his gospel and he says, in the beginning, sounds, sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Then we just look at Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, John opens his passage. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was what? What? God. So the word was with God. The word was God. He, the word, was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now look at verse 14. And the word became flesh. And he dwelt among us and we saw his glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, what do we know? From the beginning, the us, all right, so God the Father and the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. We know that Jesus became flesh. Jesus was with God in the beginning. They, were, they are one in the same. Now look at what Colossians chapter um, Colossians tells us regarding uh, God, okay, and Jesus. So Colossians chapter one, back to Colossians chapter one. And listen to what Paul then writes about this relationship between God the Father, Jesus the Son, and creation. All right, so uh, look at verse 15. Okay, so while Jesus... Uh, It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Uh, For by him, all things were created, 
both in the heavens and in the earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Uh, When Paul tells us, according to Philippians chapter 2, that what Jesus did was not to consider himself to be regarded as equal with God, a thing to be grasped, this is huge, because Jesus is equal, because he is God. And yet he did not consider that to be important. But look what he did. The word but, always in scripture. But he emptied himself. Uh, The the other uh, term in understanding is renounced. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Here's what Paul is saying in verses 7 and 8. Jesus, when he came to earth, he emptied himself. It does not mean that he gave up deity. He still is fully God. But when he emptied himself and came to this earth, he humbled himself by doing that. When he was on earth, he was fully God, fully man. And he did this for one purpose. We know that his sole purpose, his sole mission, was to come down and be present with us on earth to die on a cross for our sins. Now, what's Paul telling the church? <laughs> you, church, you can't do things out of selfishness, out of conceit, or the pursuit of your own glory, but you need to be like Christ, who left heaven, who left the presence of God, who left perfection to empty himself and take on man, the, the position of man, to be a found in appearance, he humbled himself, so much so that he made himself obedient to death. Jesus was willing to die for others. He, he sacrificed his position for others. Do you know, do you know that when, when he was in heaven, he, he had all the glory, but he gave all of that up for you and for me. But, but look at the, the outcome of what happens for Jesus. Uh, for this reason, another term of conclusion uh, for this reason, God highly exalted himself, uh, highly exalted Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow 
of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God forever. So Christ, what he, what he did is he humbled himself to the point of death. He, he gave up everything and went to the cross. And by the way, you, you probably know this, but he experienced one of the most humiliating deaths anybody could ever experience because they put him on a cross and displayed with other criminals after beating and scourging him. But he went to that and did that for you and I. So what happens as a result of Christ uh, going and being uh, humbled to the point of death? It says, for this reason, God highly exalted and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Uh, Do you know what the name is that he gets? Lord. Uh, He is over all. Lord Jesus Christ. That even though he humbled himself to the point of death, God exalted him uh, when he was uh, brought, you know, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, when he is ascended into heaven, uh, he is glorified back with the Father. Humbled for the purposes of saving you and I from sin. Through that, God brought him and exalted him high above every name. Now look at the next part of this term of conclusion. Why? So that every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God forever. Uh, the act that Jesus did on the cross in uh, saving us from sins, uh, humbling himself to the point of death uh, with the sole purpose that when he was raised from the dead, he defeated sin, he defeated death, and he ascended to be with the Father. He now sits at the right hand of the Father that because of this, he can take on names like Great High Priest. One who, who goes before the Father on our behalf. Uh, this, this action that Jesus took on is the ultimate example of mission-focused and loving others more than he loved himself. <laughs> this, is what, this is what Paul's calling us to. He, he's calling us to say, okay, well, here, here's my example but you need to follow Christ. Do you have this sacrificial love for others that you are willing to go above and beyond for the glory of God? This is is the unity that he is 
calling us to. So, so let me walk you through these uh, four, four points of how we can have unity again. All right? So we need to be re- united in a spiritual battle. We need to be united in love and fellowship. We need to have a genuine humility and self-sacrifice. We need to follow Christ's example. I want to uh, bring you to, to one last passage because it is a vital passage. It is so important for us to understand, and it is John chapter 17. And I'm not going to walk you uh, through the whole passage, uh, but I want you to see that this is Jesus uh, praying in the garden. One of the last conversations he will have with his father. Uh, He is about to go to the cross. Uh, Shortly after this, uh, he is in Caiaphas' house and he is being questioned about who he is. All right, so what what, what John is recording in Jesus' prayer is first, let's look at Um, a key point in this and follow through John chapter 17, verse one. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh and to all whom you've given him authority that he may give eternal life. Do you know what Jesus is praying in verse one? He's saying, Father, My work is done. The hour has come. Bring me home. But let me glorify you by being obedient and going to the cross and then bring me home. Uh, This is is the prayer that Jesus has. Uh, We also know that God gave him authority over all flesh. Uh, He gave him the authority to give eternal life. And then he describes to us what eternal life is. He says, this is eternal life, that they, his disciples, that anyone, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. All right, so what's the key to eternal life? That you know God, and that you know that God sent Jesus for them. That he humbled himself and came down to earth to die on the cross for their purposes. Look at verse four. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had before with you before the world was. Take me home. My work is done here. He then goes on to say, I manifested your name. I preached the gospel. And then look at verse seven. These disciples have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. So they're talking about a unity here that comes together. Uh, Verse eight, for the words which you gave me, I have given to them, they received them truly and understood that I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me. Do you see it? Do you see what Jesus is saying in the garden? He's saying that the disciples, they knew that God sent Jesus to earth. What is that? That's the definition of eternal life. Now, he goes on and he, he prays for himself. He prays for the disciples. But then over here in verse 20, he begins to pray for you and I. 
All right, so he prays for you and I, and listen to what he prays. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe in me through their word, that they may all be what? One. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us. You see that us anywhere else? Genesis chapter one. So that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be what? One, just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in, the, in unity so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Uh, do you see what Jesus is praying here in this passage? Okay, so first... He's talking about that this glory in verse 22, the glory which you gave me, I've given to them. That glory that he's referring to is the Holy Spirit that will come upon the believer. This Holy Spirit that will unify us together as the body of Christ. And Jesus is praying that we may be united in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because when we're united... When we are walking together in one spirit and one mind, look what the text tells us the world will know. The world, verse 23, will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. What Jesus is praying here is he is saying, that when the world knows that you sent me, that you came from God, that is eternal life. So how, how, do, we, how do we express that Jesus Christ came from God and that we are one as they are one, all united, united through the Holy Spirit, the world will see that we are different. They will see the path to eternal life. We, we need to be united as we go to battle. We need to be united in our fellowship together. We need to be genuinely uh, humble and sacrificial, and we need to follow Christ's example. Why? Because the world is watching. Eternal life is at stake. How often have you run into somebody that has said, I can't be a part of church because there's just so much infighting and arguing and there's so much hypocrisy because uh, they're not united together. You see, the world, what the world is doing to us right now is the world forces unity. 
All right? So they force unity on you, and if you don't conform to their idea of unity, they cancel you. But you see, our unity is found in the Holy Spirit. It's in the blood of Jesus Christ. And if we are truly transformed by the gospel of Jesus, this is not something we have to do. It is something we want to do. We want to be united together in one purpose, knowing that we are in a battle for truth, knowing that, you know what, it's gonna take some hard work to be a person who's willing to come into a point of humility and self-sacrifice for somebody else. I have to be willing to give things up for the greater purpose of the mission. I need to follow Jesus. This is the call that Christ has for us. And, and when we put these four things into action, folks, we are going to have joy. There's never joy in disunity. There's only strife. So that's the call that, that Paul has for us this morning, that Jesus laid out through his words the call to be unified. But it's gonna take work. But we can do it by being focused on mission, which is the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you again for what we see in your word, the truth that is before us. Father, you know the importance of this call to be, to be humbled before you, to put others first and to put ourselves last, to be people who are focused on you and your gospel. So I pray now that uh, you would again uh, speak to our hearts, that we would be united together in mission, that we would be focused on you and your glory only. That, Father, if there are things in our hearts this morning that are, are drawing glory away from you and they are self-serving and so, solely focused on uh, what I can attain versus what can I give, Lord, that you would just break that from us right now. That we would be people that would be solely focused on the furthering of the kingdom of God. That we would do anything and everything to make that happen. Lord, may we be people who follow the example of your son, Jesus, who had glory in heaven, who spoke creation into existence, who humbled himself and came to this earth and walked this earth with a sole mission to die on the cross. That, Father, through that sacrifice that Jesus made, we see exaltation. We see that Jesus is lifted up and we too have a promise as Paul says at the end of Philippians 1 that when we are united in one spirit and one mind what comes at the end? Salvation. That we too will have an opportunity to spend eternity with you in heaven. So Lord, uh, go before us now and challenge us to, to focus on unity. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to Unlocking the Truth. 
a podcast by Preset Ministries Canada. Be sure to visit our website, presetministries.ca, to find a Bible study class or workshop that will give you the tools to know God deeply and live differently.